This is the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm going to be your host for this podcast and the ad space. And if you guys didn't know already, we are very good friends with two of our advertisers here, both Black Rifle Coffee and Sig Sauer. Black Rifle Coffee is over here in Salt Lake City and they come to a lot of our events. We all have Black Rifle Coffee running through our blood. Uh, we drink it constantly over here. In fact, I've got one of their ready to drinks right here, which is going to fuel this podcast. And hopefully you guys pick up either Beyond Black, uh, Silencer Smooth, Flying Elk, you know, all the creative coffee names that they come up with. Find one that's your favorite, drink it, guaranteed you're going to like it. So please visit our friends over at blackriflecoffee.com and uh, definitely, definitely check out the good stuff that they have. The other sponsor, like I mentioned before, is Sig Sauer. Uh, Sig Sauer is America's premier firearms company. We we love the folks from Six Hour. I've been to the Six Hour Academy close to 20 times. I'm trying to figure out what my 20th course is going to be over there. The last thing that I did was the 320 armor class, and I learned all about the little intricate parts of that fire control system and how to put together all the different guns that we love to shoot here. Um, Six Hour has got some really, really great stuff uh, that I think you guys should check out. If you haven't had a chance to play with their cross rifle, it basically combines some of the aspects of the precision rifle shooting community, like the platforms, the frames, the chassis, so to speak, into a hunting rifle, which has a folding stock, which is pretty damn awesome. And the gun uh, is threaded, so you can use any of the SIG suppressors on it or any of the common threaded suppressors that are out there. So guys, please check those guys out too. Um, you know, you could even do the happy marriage, drink some coffee and shoot some SIG guns. That's what we like to do here. Um, but we've got a podcast coming up today. And I know that this guy is a fan of guns and probably a fan of coffee. We'll find out. Um, but he's also probably one of the coolest archers you are ever going to hear of that you might not have heard of yet. He is the bane of existence to the traditional archery community. You're going to hear why. A good friend of mine, someone who's a really interesting character. And uh, we're going to get down to this one right now. So again, please check out uh, Sig Sauer. Please check out Black Rifle Coffee, and please tune into this podcast with Alan Odinson of Odinson Archery. Here we go. Alan, the man Odinson. How the hell are you? What's, what's up, man? How you doing? Dude, I am doing really, really well over here. Uh, quite honestly, I just podcasted uh, John Stryker Meyer, like one of the OGs in the SF community, Mac V saw guy from Vietnam. We just were jamming over here talking about all sorts of stuff. And I told him about you and he's like, oh, my wife is getting into archery. And, you know, you think he can make a pretty good bow for for my wife? And he took down all your information. So if you get contacted by a guy that goes by the name Tilt, asking about a bow and arrow for his wife, um, he is he, he's a deadly dude. Um, and I, I think you're going to like him when you talk to him. So I'm doing really, really well. But how are you? Oh man, I'm great. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here plugging away, uh, just doing my thing here, building bows, uh, making video content, instructional content. I really kind of this year, I think a lot of people kind of take notice because I've uh, I've really upped my instructional content this year. Um, so far, um, you know, last year was really really rough, and uh, I just kind of you know, it was kind of faced with, with an option of either, you know, kind of go under the pressure, but as we all know, pressure creates diamonds. So mm -hmm. I took that, I took that pressure and uh, actually just built it up and dug my heels in and have just really kind of revitalized uh, what I'm doing here. And uh, it's been going great, man. I've been, uh, I've been 
enjoying it, living the dream. And for those of you that don't know, Alan makes all these bows out of PVC. Um, and dude, you told me one time something then, and I've written you up in the magazines, but you had this one line that I've never forgotten. You're like, as long as I have plumbing, I have a weapon. And I was like, that's right. Damn. <laughs> like, so let's, let's talk about that. Like, uh, so we can kind of introduce you even more formally. Let's talk about your bows and like, let the bows explain who you are. So tell us about your bows. Yeah. So, so with the bows, um, I, I started off pretty much like every other guy that made PVC bows because PVC bows is not necessarily something that's new. You can always find it. And, you know, and I've had people ask before, they're like, oh, well, you know, I could just make one. And I'm like, you can make one that absolutely you can make one, but it's not going to be like the ones I make because over the years of, of many failures and, um, and there's just a lot of different, uh, work in the field itself, just really understanding the craft of bow making more. I've really refined the process uh, so much. You know, I talk a lot about the the heating and the treatment process, and, and the the treatment process is really kind of something I keep kind of kind of close to me. Yeah, you have but to. It's, it, yeah, you do. You really do. Um, it, but through that process, and plus, the, I I have specific manufacturers that I go through because not all PVC is made the same. You can't just run to uh, to Lowe's or Home Depot or somewhere and, and, and grab some and expect it to be the same. Um, and that's one of the things I've really done is really work with a lot of different distributors to make sure that the content of the PVC is as pure as it could possibly be. And that's one of the big things that's helped me out as well. And a lot of people think when they see my bows, they think that there, there's something in them. Like, all right, well, do you have fiberglass rods in them? Mm-hmm. No, nope, they are hollow. They are absolutely hollow. <laughs> so, um, you know, I went through that process, started uh, working on those, kind of really refined that design really well to uh, to prevent a lot of the issues that a lot of PVC archers were having. They were having issues with their bows breaking. They were having issues with um, the speed was just really, really low. And, you know, I've got my bows running now. Uh, at or above industry standards. I mean, my my forty pound, a little small uh, assassin bows are outperforming or performing right next to like I've got a Damon Howitt uh, Hunter uh, at forty five pounds, and my little PVC bow bow will outrun it. Um, Hickory long bows, my bows will outrun those. Um, I, I haven't tested, but I've had some people run. I can't remember which one of my bows it was, but they run it against. Uh, they had a Hoyt. Uh, recurve and um, they were like man this thing is running just as fast and, I, and that even surprised me um, so you know just the process of, of building the bows and really kind of understanding the craft and getting everything even and all that has been a big big part of what I do and I, I ventured out into things like fiberglass I've got a few bows that I've made out of fiberglass but as far as the amount of work I can put in and the amount of time it takes me to get out a good quality bow at an affordable price. That's always been a big thing for me too, at an affordable price. Um, it is, it's, it's really, it's really tough for me not to continue to do the PVC bows, even though there's other options that I have available. And you know, one of the questions that always comes up in our survival classes, uh, especially when we do wilderness survival too, which is more about like food gathering, people say, well, are we going to learn how to do any bows? 
And, you know, in those courses, I always explain, I'm like, you realize how long it takes to do a traditional bow and arrow off the land. Like you have to let that wood uh, dry properly and you have to carve it only from the inside, letting those outer growth rings, you know, be uh, as strong as possible and flexible as possible. I'm like, we can make bundle bows. And I've done Mm -hmm. that. You know, I learned how to make bundle bows through uh, Ralph Panero, who went by Turtle um, and they perform. But then if you look at like some of the options, like the stuff that you're doing, um, you know, I've made some PVC bows that have had those driveway markers inside of them and they've, they've worked, but they're heavy, mm-hmm. they're clunky. Like they don't, mm-hmm. they don't feel like your bow because you're actually wrapping the PVC for like a proper handle. And you know, they, it's a solid, uh, cylinder, the entire length of the, of the bow stave, as opposed to you flatten them down and they mm-hmm. resemble like a traditional bow. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things I think one of the when I first started out uh, the first year that we actually kind of linked up at, uh, at Blade Show, um, <clears throat> one of the biggest <clears throat> like things for me that was kind of my my moment where I realized I kind of got everything right was um, Jason Knight mm-hmm. was there. And, um, you know, I was walking by him. And he's like, hey, man, let me take a look at that bow. And I was like, yeah, here you go, man. Let him look at it. And I shot a video of this, actually, that's on uh, YouTube. But, um, you know, I had him looking at it, and he's looking at the bow, and he goes, man, what kind of horn did you use to make this? And I was like, that's not made of horn. And he looked at him, he goes, what? And he started kind of feeling around. He goes, no, nah, that's horn. I said, no, it's not made of horn. <laughs> and me and him went back and forth, and I told him what it was. And he's like, holy cow. He said, I never in a million years would have guessed right off the bat that this was this was PVC bow. He said, it looks like horn it feels like horn he's like that's crazy you know that you were able to get that sort of look out of it and i just recently sold one to jason as a matter of fact uh probably about a month ago um that he called me up and he he told me he said he said man he said there, he called me and he said there's a problem with this bow i said oh man what's wrong with it he goes every time i shoot it all the arrows keep going in the same spot i said <laughs> i said man that's a, i hate it when they do that you know <laughs> he's one of the, the cooler guys that i've met at blade show and we're actually going back to blade show this year i'm going to be doing the same thing i'll be at the exotac booth every day like doing question and answer meet and greet, you know, because of the popularity of the coffee and question series that we have here. And, uh, I remember there was one time you were walking around a blade show and I was, I think I was with you. Um, I had to have been, and it might've been in the elevator or it might've been on the floor, but you had that repeating crossbow, uh, that Chinese one. And I want to say it was Jason Knight or the guys from recoil. And they're like, we need to see this. Like, what the hell did you just make? You know, so yeah. I think uh, you're on the cutting edge of looking at old technology and figuring out, like, how can we make this more modernized and how can you reproduce it? So I, that's one of the more fascinating things about you. And I, I wanted to bring you on because you got a lot of insight into some technology that's gone by the wayside. But people today can learn um, how they can make these improvised weapons um, mm-hmm. or they can get them relatively inexpensively through you. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. Uh, the things that I make, I have, and that's one of the things that separates me from the uh, from a lot of the people in the traditional archery community is a lot of the stuff that that I started picking up and the techniques and the things I show. They're, they're not things I'm, I'm making up. I'm, I'm going back to like the old manuals and things like that. You know, I've got uh, old manuals from the, the Saracen archers and and uh, Arabian archers and English longbowmen and different techniques and tactics that they were using during the times and even the different weapons. That repeating crossbow, that repeating crossbow, uh, I recreated it from from pretty much kind of playing around with the, with some of the pictures and things I saw of it and kind of having a general idea of how they worked. But that's a, 
that's a Chinese style crossbow that was around during the, the boxer rebellion that was used there. And it's just kind of starting to understand those different things. Um, it's even like we were talking about with the improvised weapons, you know, you were talking about people saying, well, you know, what about with bows? What, what a lot of people don't know is when I first started making bows, you know, you, you go through your phases of trying to figure things out. I didn't have anything to do any heating so initially when i first started doing them i was in the kitchen Mm -hmm. doing it over the the eye of the stove that was how i was heating my bows initially when i very first started if you look like some of the old pictures before i even started my company that was that was my learning process so i mean it's you you could essentially make a crude pvc bow if you had to uh, at a campfire well if you had if you just had a length of pipe you you could absolutely do it. There's now you'd have to kind of know what you're doing, but but you could absolutely do it. Um, and that's one of the beautiful things about it. You know, survival type situation. Like we're saying, if I got plumbing, I got I, I can forge it into something. I can take. I don't have to have a a, a Flemish twist string or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can use I can use paracord. It's not going to be as high performance, but I can I could use paracord. I could use. There's a lot of different things I could use in there. So um, y- there's always a lot of options, and that's one of the great things with with the PVC bows. It's one of the things I love about the traditional bows too. Survival situation. You don't want to be making uh, just uh, um, you know arrows on the fly to shoot out of a compound or something like that you have to kind of you don't you don't want to have way too much force out of there but out of a recurve you can get away with that yeah <clears throat> the uh in the survival community you know a lot of guys they think of the movie predator and i know that you're a big fan of the 80s movies too and they think of oh, arnold yeah. making that giant bundle bow and, and making arrows <laughs> and it's shooting through the tree but you know i think people don't realize just the benefit of, of a bow and like the things that you can do with a bow, the places you can travel with one. I mean, you can fly to foreign countries with a takedown bow um, and you're not going to be as heavily regulated as if you were to try to fly with a firearm where you have to go through customs, you know? Um, I really think the the bow is just a great option. Um, you know, but one of the things I, I want to talk about are some of the myths that are out there. Um, because everyone thinks like, okay, I've got a bow. I'm going to go be able to kill anything now. Like I'm going to be like Arnold. Um, but you're known for kind of looking at certain myths, like speed shooting. Uh, I forgot who that one guy was that was jumping around, you know, drawing from mm-hmm. a back quiver, but like you were like, you know, the back quiver, uh, compared to, you know, like you look at certain things that other people just assume are, is the truth because it's been around for so long. And you know, I, when I saw something recently on your, one of your social media feeds, I was like, I got to get you on and just talk about this because I love the person that kind of raises hell a little bit, you know, just because you point out something for not being right. Doesn't mean you're being a dick. You're just trying to improve the understanding of the community or making it better. So let's just talk about some of the things that the bow and arrow can do. And some of the things it can't do, because that's, Mm -hmm. that's an important thing before a person goes out there and they go to their local uh, archery shop and they drop a grand on a bow you know what I mean? Like what are some things that people need to know compared to say like a firearm or, or other tool for putting food on the table? Well, I think, I think one of the biggest things that, um, especially being from the traditional archery community is, um, a lot of people get caught up on, on arrow speed. They want, they want the lightest arrow moving as fast as possible. And, um, I tend to find just generally testing things and even just communicating you know here in south carolina this is hog country here and when it comes to like a a lot of guys will go hog hunting with a bow and they'll use the same kind of arrow setup that they would use for say a deer well then 
you hit that hog with that super light arrow in the side and it doesn't penetrate that shield at all. It just, boom, it just gets, gets uh, doesn't get, you don't get that same kind of full penetration. So a lot of the hog hunters around here started figuring out, man, I, I don't need a light arrow. I need a heavy arrow. I need a heavy arrow to drive through. And that's tends to be the thing that I have found over the years of working with um, different arrow styles and everything is everybody gets caught up on the speed of the bow and they don't focus so much on having a good solid heavy arrow. And that, and that's what I like. I like a good heavy arrow um, when it comes to penetration. Now speed is obviously going to, going to make a, make a difference in there, but the heavy arrow, I kind of liken it to, you know, if, if, if I'm taking a um, say like a, um, a Toyota Yaris and I take it in and it's going as fast as it can and it rams into the side of a school bus, you know, it's going to, it's going to hit it pretty, it's going to hit it pretty hard. It's going to give it a good, good whack in there, but I can take a larger truck um, something like a you know a larger f one fifty you know something like that, and have it going a little bit slower, but the weight of it is so different when it hits, even if it's going slower it's gonna it's gonna make uh a lot more penetration as it's hitting in there you know and that that's one of the things a lot of people don't think about they're like, I need that light air, I need it flying fast. you don't really because the weight of the object when it's hitting the weight is going to be actually carrying it through where you need to go. Now, obviously you do want some kind of speed in there with it as well, but I tend to find that a lot of people just, they get so caught up on that. So that's one of the bigger things I tell people, they say, you know, how fast is this performing? And speed is important, as I said, but not enough people focus on a good sharp broadhead, a good uh, heavy size arrow. Uh, those are, those are really what you're looking at uh, when it comes to like performance on that. Um, you know, as far, a, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I was just going to say, I was just going to go into uh, like uh, another myth, but uh, uh, one of the other myths, like you were talking about the guy that was, that was kind of flopping around. That was uh, Lars Anderson. Yeah. And um, you know, when Lars, I tell people, you know, Lars is a, is a good archer, you know, it's cool the things he does, but um, you know, I was one of the first guys when his very first video came out, everyone was went on about, it. I was the first guy that said, wait a minute, something's not right here. And, you know, his claims about, you know, archers didn't carry, um, they, they carried their arrows in their hand. And I'm like, well, how many arrows can you carry in your hand at one time? Now, maybe if you're carrying a few, but, you know, his statement was basically that the quivers and stuff were Hollywood inventions. And that's just absolutely incorrect from, from a historical standpoint that, uh, you know, and I, I got absolutely flamed by the archery community for calling him out on those things. And I recently did something a while back where, you know, he was doing a video on like blindfolded shooting or something. And he was shooting, he was cutting ropes, cutting, he cut two ropes on us hanging sandbag and um, like blindfolded. And I was like, well, that's cool. And then when I saw the replay, I'm like, well, wait a minute, those, the, the replay of the arrows where they hit on the video of him shooting and where it's falling in the replay. Those were two different videos. So it looked kind of like spliced to me, but you know, it, it's just the main issue I always had with Lars was just the, the uh, historical aspect. You can't come on and say that oh, quivers were a Hollywood thing when in actuality there's, there's manual after manual and after manual on how to use a quiver in combat. To your first myth <clears throat> about the light arrow and the heavy arrow, my uh, my late mentor, Marty, was a Vietnam guy, um, you know, Army survival instructor. And he said that there was a video that came out 
that featured a 55 gallon drum filled with sand. And I don't know if, if you saw this video, you probably have, I have, I have, yes. you know what, you know what I'm going through. Right. And then mm -hmm. the, it's a 55 gallon drum filled with sand and it's gets shot with a 30 odd six. And then there is an arrow that's shot at it and the arrow goes clean through, or was it a bolt from a crossbow? But the bottom line was, is that even though that 30 odd six round was traveling so fast, it was significantly lighter than the weight of the arrow and the broadhead that went clean through the sand. So mm -hmm. did I get that correct? That's it. That's, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And that, that's why around here, like a lot of them use those heavy airs for the hog hunting. You need it. You need that, that constant movement as it's going through that weight is going to, because as soon as you fire the arrow, it's already slowing down. Um, so you, you need, you need a level of, of weight to have it continue going through there. And I have seen that video. Uh, it's a really good video. Um, they, they tested a variety of different firearms and I actually did kind of, this was a while back. I did a kind of a recreation video where I was just testing, just shooting a, uh, um, just running a standard nine millimeter full metal jacket round, uh, through a, just, I just had like a little bucket of sand and shot it into there. And it went probably about halfway through. And then I shot it with a arrow and the arrow just went clean through the, through it, like no problem, uh, same distance and everything. So, you know, it's, it's, they're different weapons. Um, you know, and that's one of that's one of the things like you were talking about, like the Vietnam guys, there's there's instances of I've seen I've seen the uh, pictures and stuff of this where you had some of the long range reconnaissance patrols would use bows at closer distances uh, as opposed to like a silenced firearm, because, you know, you've shot enough guns to know even a silenced firearm is not silenced at extreme close distance. John Stryker so, Meyer um, in the podcast that I just recorded this morning, the coffee and questions with him, he just called out the guy by name who was in Mac V SOG that carried a bow into combat. There you go. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, a lot of people think of bows, they say, you know, well, like, and that's one of the things I've always, I've always liked the com the combative um, form of archery. It's always been very interest interesting to me because most people just look at archery as a sport, but I, you know, I enjoy the, the old school combative aspect of it. I mean, it's, it's still a weapon. It still performs the exact same way. Just the techniques and tactics have changed. And a lot of people think of like with a bow from like a self-defense type standpoint, uh, you know, you have to think to yourself, people see a deer get shot and the deer takes off running and they're like, well, if I shoot somebody, they're going to go running off. And I'm like, how fast can a deer run versus how fast can a person run? I mean, it's it's very, very different uh, for one. For two, just like with anything else, I mean, you know, from uh, from your training with Sioc and everything too, placement mm -hmm. of where you're putting this blade is going to make a big difference. Um, you can get you can get instant stops with a bow. I know that sounds crazy to people, but we see it happen with people uh, who deer hunt sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, they'll get a spine shot and it'll stop the deer right where they're at. Um, you know, and if you think you're shooting anywhere center mass with a bow and, and that arrow is designed to pretty much get a pass through, you'll get passed through on deer. So if you get a pass through on a human being and you shoot straight down the middle, I mean, you know, you're, you're getting, you're getting crazy penetration on things like that. But There's a, a lot video. of people just don't really consider that. There's a video that was going around the internet a while back of a guy, I think it was elk. I don't think it was a moose. I want to say it was elk hunting and the elk is standing head on and the camera is perfect. Like it's, it's fixed right on this elk. And then it looks to be what looks like a, like a laser pointer is put on the elk. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And then next thing you know, the elk starts bleeding from the mouth and falls 
right on its face. And you realize that it wasn't a laser pointer. It was the Illuminoc that you mm. saw go perfectly, perfect placement. The elk didn't take one step and it just fell right on its face. It didn't even know it was hit. Yeah, it's essentially an epidural that happens like, like well, especially with like spine shots, you know, it's essentially an epidural that goes in there and it's, it's just, they don't move, you know, they, they, it stops them in their place. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's, that's what it is about all of those things. You know, it's, it's all about, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're, you know, running firearms or anything else. It's like the whole caliber debate, you know, put your shots where they need to go. It's the same with the boat. Uh, things don't change. So wait, you mean to tell me that this argument that we're talking about with light arrows versus heavy arrows has something to do potentially with nine millimeter versus 45 and two world wars and, you know, all that great stuff? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, and the thing with too is like, you know, I tell people too, when it comes to like arrows, uh, also you got to think, I mean, it depends on the type of broadhead you're using. I mean, you're talking a, a massive wound. You're talking a massive bleeding wound. I mean, people who have seen videos of of deer getting shot or whatever, I mean, it pretty much looks like when when they're running away, it pretty much looks like a water hose out the side. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's that's a massive wound. I mean, you 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 can you can pack it, but I mean, it's it's it, that's a nasty wound you're gonna have to deal with there. Um, but yeah, the the arrow is probably one of the bigger myths. Um, the uh, the speed shooting aspect, uh, speed shooting is a thing, um, you know, but I think people get too, too caught up into, uh, you know, trying to fire like 10 arrows and, in, in, in like five seconds or something like that. which, I mean, you know, in, in reality, when you look at like the, the old manuals and stuff that a lot of these people quote, you know, a lot of those manuals, they were pretty much saying, you know, a good cadence was about, you know, one shot every one second to two seconds. And I mean, really, if you look at like, modern suppressive fire that's pretty much what you're looking at a lot of times too of course you got your initial flurry but once once you got the target pinned down about around a second to keep it down and that's kind of the same way that, that it was with uh, those archers back then too yeah i think one of the truths that you got to talk about is like how long can you can how long can you sustain that speed firing too because you're drawing back a bow that has more muscular input than just pulling a trigger you know what i mean so it's like how I mean, okay, great. You can speed shoot, but can you maintain it? You know, like I think it's right. going to be a little bit easier on the body if you just take timed controlled shots. You know? Right. Exactly. And, and and that's the thing, you know, it, with the speed shooting also, it's like, well, I just fired 10 arrows in, 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 10, in 10 seconds or 10 arrows in five seconds, whatever. So you fired 10 arrows in, in five seconds. Uh, were you putting one arrow in, in each attacker or whatever you were shooting at because realistically how much ammo do you have i mean a, a quiver i got a pretty good size quiver and it holds about 25 30 arrows crammed full so i mean you 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 have a limited supply of ammunition so you don't want to just be spraying arrows everywhere you, you they need to count every single one of them needs to count and when you look at like the old archery manuals they were big on that i mean they 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 make sure that all those shots went where they were supposed to go and and you needed to have a certain level of proficiency to even be considered for combat speaking of combat versus like hunting and and whatnot um I, and i want to i want to talk about uh, arrowhead selection at some point, broadheads, field points, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Cause I know you've done some like armor penetration too. Um, but like, let's talk about what you would recommend if someone's looking for a bow that is meant for survival purposes. So purely hunting and like, maybe talk about like the tradition of like, this is how heavy the bows were. This is, you know, what they used, but then also like the warfare bow, 
you know, and like, what would the loadout look like for each of those? Okay. So with, with something, we'll, we'll go back to the, to, we'll go to the war bow first. So with the war bow, you were talking in, insanely heavy. We're talking 150 plus pounds of, of draw on that. Um, a lot of people, I, I used, I used to make a war bow. I used to make a war bow that was a hundred pounds and it was made out of PVC. Um, I think the heaviest one I did was 110 pounds and I sold it to a guy. I, I warned him too. I said, man, I said, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, sold it to him. He got it. And he's like, well, I kind of overestimated my strength. I can't even pull it back. And I was like, yeah, I kind of told you, man. Um, a lot of people don't think about the everything it takes to really draw something that heavy. And I mean, when, when they have found the skeletal remains of English longbowmen who, who were regularly pulling bows like that, their muscle, their skeletal, skeletal structure had actually changed. Um, the bones were, were even larger in their forearms and their back was larger on one side and everything. I mean, it, it's a full body movement to draw one of those bows. And those arrows that they were shooting, again, we're talking about heavy arrows. This goes right back to heavy arrows again. Some of the arrows they shot were about a half inch in diameter. So they were mini javelin flying with a sharp bodkin tip on the end of it. So they were flying, they were, they were shooting these massive arrows out of these massive bows. And you, you had to have an arrow shaft that was that big to be able to take that kind of force from those bows. And the reason they did that, they had to be enough to go through plate armor. You had to have that weight to be able to drive it through the plate armor and into uh, the individual you were trying to hit with that. Now, from a more modern context, uh, well, if we're looking at it from either a hunting or a combative aspect, they pretty much kind of fall in the same as far as I'm concerned and from a, my understanding we don't deal with armor anymore. We don't deal with, well, we do deal with armor. We don't deal with plate armor. Um, so pretty much what you're looking at now, I tend to tell most people with a good arrowhead and uh, a good solid arrow, 45 pounds is going to be pretty good for most things you're going to deal with from a hunting standpoint. Uh, 50 to 55 range is probably going to do most everything else you don't need a super heavy bow anymore uh for, for e even even guys that are taking I, I read an article a while back of a guy that killed um i want to say it was i want to say it was a black bear around here uh he had killed him with like a 55 pound recurve you know just just a, a good arrow it, it doesn't take that much and um even from like a combative standpoint, survival standpoint with me, I'm looking at something in the 45 to, to 40 pound range. Cause that's going to handle most things I'm going to be able to deal with. I can still deal with small game with it. I can use some, some bunny buster blunt tip heads and get some small game with it. I can use any sort of broad heads and take down deer Nah, hog, nah, I don't know. You have to, <laughs> you probably have to place your shot really well on that. But um, pretty much, that's that's what I'm looking at when when I tell people. When people ask me right now, they say, "What's what bow would you recommend for this?" I tell them, uh, "You need to have draw weight wise. When you need to be in that in that 45 pound range, is probably what you're looking at for most aspects of modern hunting." Man. Yeah, there. <clears throat> I remember reading about some of the indigenous tribes around the world, and 
you're they're like, oh yeah, the the bow that they used had like a 15 or a 20 pound draw weight. And I was like, whoa. But then you find out that some of these tribes are using poison tips and they don't mm-hmm. care about penetration. They just want to get into the bloodstream and then track mm-hmm. the animal down. You know, and then yeah. like a lot of these these cultures, they learned through conquest and through uh imperialism, like, wow, we're getting we're going up against other tribes and other uh, other enemies that are using bows that are meant for people to kill them. And then they started increasing the draw weight of their bows and getting away from the poisons, which weren't easy to come by because of seasonal factors or limitations of resources or whatever. Like the history of archery is fascinating. You know what I mean? And right. I, I think more people should just read up on it because the way that like certain bows look like the bows of the people that took over those people, like I, I'm, you've probably got examples of that, right? Yeah, uh, even even like you were talking about with like the lower draw weight bows and like hunting and stuff. Um, the the Comanche, the mm-hmm. Comanche were notorious for using lower poundage bows, and they were taking things down like bison. But Jeez. what they what they used from a range standpoint, they didn't have to worry about firing firing the arrow from a long range. They used the horse, right? So they would get the horse and get fairly close to the to the bison and would start laying arrows down on them from the horse. So again that that's that's um you know kind of covering the range like the the mongolians were the same way they had they had two bows that they carried on them they had a heavy bow for shooting heavy arrows long distances but when it come from like close range work they had a lighter bow because you could use it faster so if you're taking out people at a closer range you could use that bow using various methods of faster reloading that they use the the trick with speed reloading is not how fast you can shoot the arrow it's really more or less how quickly you can get it on the string um the the draw and everything that's where the slow part uh comes into but they would use that that lighter weight bow to take out closer when they're actually on foot or at closer range with this horse so there's there were so many different things you could do and you would even see like the um you know, I had this conversation a while back with people, and and I, again, it was another one of those things that I got flamed about. But, you know, talking about like Nor- Norse culture, you know, somebody said something about Mongolian bows and and the the Nordic culture, and I said, you know, you have to understand these people were travelers. Mm-hmm. They, they they traveled all over the place. I mean, you had Rus Vikings, you had they, they were all over the place, and they picked up things along the way because you know if you're used to carrying a, a six foot longbow and you get down there in in the Asian communities and you look and you go, well, man, this thing is a lot shorter and it shoots pretty fast. So I'm gonna kind of play around with this, and you know, so there were instances where they found thumb rings that were used for archery that had like runes and stuff that had been put on them and and uh, different depictions of the gods that some of the Vikings had actually used in their travels. Um, you find the same thing with the um, with the Chinese bows compared to like the Mongolian bows. Uh, they started changing their technology as people started moving around. Uh, it's very, very common because, I mean, if you're finding a better weapon where you're going, I mean, why would you not switch over? Man, yeah, and And that's, I mean, we've seen that play out over and over and over, like all the native Americans, when they experienced the Spaniards, right. That's where they learned all their horseback skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you read empire of the summer moon, uh, one of my students here at Fieldcraft gave me the book and I've been reading it and 
it's one of the hardest books to read because everything is so graphic. It's like, oh, this tribe decided that they were just going to shoot arrows into this person for fun. Tie them down and shoot arrows. And it's like, hmm, that's a nice visual. I'm going to go to sleep now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they these different cultures, they pick up from the, the people that they fight um, and it plays out in archery. Um, I remember, did you do the thing a while back? And it might have been you, it might have been someone else where it was just the sharpened stick versus like an actual head to an arrow. Uh, I think I've done something about those in the past, um, just with different different style arrow tips. The the sharpened stick, surprisingly enough, does pretty decent. Um, I mean, it, it's essentially a a a, a field tip. It's mm-hmm. essentially a field tip. Um, you know, it, it does decent. Uh, you had instances where they would put you could put uh, barbs on there. Um, I know that when it comes to testing broadheads versus say something maybe like a stone arrowhead testing them against like deer carcass you're not going to see that much of a difference surprisingly enough with a traditional bow uh, i've seen i've seen through and throughs with with a simple um stone arrowhead just right through a deer and and, and that's to me as as even as somebody who's who shoots a lot and I've tested a lot of things out. Even seeing that, that was even surprising to me. Uh, I, I would not have expected that. But you know, again, you've got weight; it's sharpened. Um, you know, I've, you could make a, a flint napped knife, mm-hmm. and it's enough. It's an it's an, it's enough to penetrate. And now, what about fletching? Because like like these two questions, like if people are like, why is he asking that? Like everyone wants to know, how do you make an arrow? How do you make a spear? And I'm like, well, Mm. you can do sharpen stick. You can add a a supplemental point, whether it's stone, metal, uh, glass, right? Like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of different things that you can use. And people always say, well, what does, what does fletching do? Um, so have you found any differences with like making homemade arrows, whether you're using like makeshift fletching out of like duct tape or, you know, using like feathers or flu-flu feathers or, or whatever it may be like, What's your take on like the survival arrow and and the importance of fletching and what you find works best? I would think, and this 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 is this is probably going to be a bit controversial, but That's, uh, yeah, just, fire, fire it, let's go. <laughs> just just from just from a testing standpoint, if I was making a survival arrow, I would not even bother putting fletching on it. I would not even put any fletching on it whatsoever, um, because depending on the range I'm going to be shooting. The fletching is pretty much designed to stabilize it in the wind, um, if and at longer distances. A lot of the arrows I shoot, if people pay attention in my videos, they see me shooting, they'll see that some of my arrows may have one thing of fletching, may, may have one feather. Maybe it's got, um, maybe it's got all three. Maybe it's got none. Uh, maybe it has two. But they all tend to fly in the same direction, uh, and and that's whether I'm shooting close range or longer range. If it's windy, I'm I'm going to see it because I'm not going to get that same kind of uh, uh, spiral pattern, that kind of the 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 natural rifling that a that a uh, that an arrow will give you as it's flying. You know, as the wind's cutting through the feathers when it's flying. But I tend to find just if if I'm using if my arrow is good, it's it's correctly spined for my bow. The weight is good on it. I'm not going to have, especially for a survival error, I'm not going to spend the time worrying about any fletching. I'm going I'm going to because if I'm shooting at ten to fifteen yards, it's it's not going to it's not going to be as as much of an issue uh, as a lot of people think. So typically that's what I would do when it comes to duct tape fletching. I've done duct tape fletching. What I find with duct tape fletching is it's too heavy. Mm. Uh, it tends to make the arrow a, a bit heavy in the rear, 
and um, we don't want that much junk in, in the arrow's trunk when we're firing. Um, it's because it tends to have kind of more of a drag, and you'll see the arrow kind of drag down a little bit. So I'm I'm not a fan. I used to do the duct tape fletching thing, and I just started noticing like the inconsistencies in my arrows while they were flying. If I had the choice between duct tape fletching and no fletching, I would probably just go no fletching on them. Um, as far as for recurve style bows and everything and self bows and the bows I shoot, I always tell people that feathers are the way to go. Uh, they tend to fly well out of them. Uh, yes, they, they may get worn a little bit, but typically you can kind of dry them out. You can wet them and dry them out again and they'll, they'll fluff right back up. And if, if, if you lose your feathers, not a big problem, uh, with the flu flus, those are really more like your close range, like flight arrows. So if you're shooting at birds or something, that would probably be good. But like I said, with with me, I think a lot of people just they put a lot of emphasis on having this perfect fletching and everything. And uh, I just the the shooting that I've done, I have I have not seen a uh, that big of a difference in having fletching, you know, having all your fletching perfect and and all this versus okay, if I'm making a survival arrow, I am not even I am not even bothering with a, a single lick of fletching. So I think a lot of people probably are wondering then like, all right, wh- what does like a, a survival bow and arrow set look like? Like if they were to reach out to you and be like, Hey, I want to get set up for putting something in my canoe in a bag that has whatever I need to uh, go after frogs, rabbits, birds, you know, basic, basic survival stuff. Like what does that setup look like? If you could design a kit and be like, Hey, I'm going to give you everything you need to get food off the land. What does that bow look like? What do those arrows look like? Typically what I'm going to give somebody is I'm going to give them probably one of my uh, assassin style bows. That's the, uh, that's the international bestseller one that I have. I've, I've literally sold that bow bow all over the world. Um, I've had, I mean, there's probably it's tough to find a country that someone doesn't have one. I just sent one not long ago off to Singapore. So, I mean, they're, they're, They've been sold everywhere. I've sold them to people in South Africa who are uh, doing kudu hunting down there. They wanted a bow, so I set them up with one there. But that assassin bow that I have, it's that would probably be what I would go with, and obviously a custom type paint job or whatever they want, unless they just wanted it flat black. And the reason that is is with the assassin bow, I mean, strung the bow is is probably around trying to remember it in my head about forty two inches overall strung. So. Uh, it's a very short bow, very lightweight, so it's not going to take up. Uh, it's not going to be heavy to tote around with. You can carry it all day. A lot of times when I'm hiking, I'll toss one one of my bows in a gun sock and, and toss it through my pack and just carry it around with me. It's no problem to carry that around. Um, the a lot of people will be worried with PVC bows about you know the sunlight and the temperatures and everything. I understand that. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, that makes my process unique. It keeps the bow. You don't have to worry about that as much with any bow. Obviously there's going to be, it doesn't matter if you're running a thousand dollar bow or a a $60 bow, you're still going to have the same type of problems if you have it exposed to extreme temperatures and all that. So that's what I would recommend is something in that, uh, you know, with that assassin style bow, it's waterproof already. So you don't have to worry about any sort of uh, mildew or anything like that. Um, the elements won't be getting to it as far as like water. So it would be great for something like a, like a canoe with an arrow set up. Typically what I'm telling people is about three to six arrows, uh, carbon arrows. Um, 
I like the wood arrows. They're really cool. And uh, the way I custom do my wood arrows is, is, is pretty unique. Um, kind of speaks to the style of archery that I, that I show and demonstrate, but the carbon arrows, they're just more durable. They're going to last longer and you can do a lot with them. Um, so I would recommend probably that maybe some bunny buster, uh, uh, tips in there. Uh, if you were going to do, I, I would say so, uh, an extra string definitely in there. Although my strings, I don't usually don't have any trouble with my strings breaking, but things happen, especially in the field. And there's no reason not to have an extra string on you while you're out there. Um, so that's probably what I would go with. It's a simple setup. It doesn't take like a, a lot. And, um, you know, I might would even, obviously they would probably need a little, little training in this, but I'm sure if people haven't seen my video on the on the Tong Ah arrow guides, um, that would be something unique you could toss in your quiver too, just in case you run into a a broken arrow or something like that. Wait, 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 wait! I, I haven't seen this one, so catch me up to speed. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? All right, a Tong Ah. Now Tong Ah is um it, it it's uh the the name it's got a lot of different names, but that is a uh, that is a um, Korean name that I heard for it, and uh, that's the one I stuck with because it's the easiest for me to pronounce with my southern accent. So uh, Tong Ah is basically it's a, it's a guide that you can shoot. It was initially used you could use it for flight shooting, but in combat these were used to return crossbow bolts back to the enemy so you could take a crossbow bolt and put it in a regular bow with the tong ah it's a guide that goes along the bow now you have to use a thumb draw to use this but it's essentially an overdraw device hmm. so it's it attaches uh, and i can just hold it in my hand i've done videos some people see me use it and they're saying man that's really slow to use but you can actually have it prepped on your hand and shoot regular arrows and then immediately switch over and shoot something like a crossbow bolt so i can take a broken arrow uh, an arrow that's, that's broken in half or even a crossbow bolt and shoot it out of a regular bow using this tong ah arrow guide it's basically essentially like a hollow kind of a half moon um guide that uh, you attach and you have to you have to shape it like a certain way and everything but they fit really easy in the quiver they're very short and uh they're really really cool you can get crazy speeds at them that's why they like to use those for flight shooting but initially they were used at, from for combative purposes you could uh somebody would shoot a crossbow bolt at you you can pull it out the wall or pull it out of your partner or your shield or whatever and uh put it right back in the boat and send it right back to them no problem so pretty cool well, <clears throat> we're, uh, we're getting to the end of this podcast, but you know, I always was, I always tell people like, we remember stories about people, you know, like if there was a kid in your high school that, you know, peed his pants, it's like, that's, you know, Johnny, you know, piss pants or whatever. Like people remember stories about people. Like they'll remember you as the archer, but we've got a couple interesting stories and I've got one that, uh, I want you to talk about that. I wasn't there for, but I've never forgotten this story about you from your days of, uh, fighting MMA. Uh, and I don't know if you'll recall this one off the top of your head, but it had to do with a certain signal you sent your opponent who was a skilled grappler. Uh, do you remember the story? You, you sent his corner. As trying we were, to, I'm, I'm trying to remember. The God, one, I guess. I, like I should have talked to you about this before the podcast, but it was the one where uh, the corner was like, he's going to tap. He's going to tap. Oh yeah. 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 I, I like to, I, I, I was, I was notorious for like, for like smiling, um, in there too, while, while, while the guys like smashing me. Um, so I've had, I've had like a few of those where the, where the guy was gonna, was gonna tap me out. I have one, I had one where, uh, a guy was, um, 
had me in a uh this was actually I wish I could remember the guy's name. I always forget his name, but he was he was he was a Brazilian opponent and it was actually the last grappling match that I that I did. Um and <laughs> the guy had me in a head and arm choke and was squeezing me out and uh I was going out. I knew I was going out. And the last thing I could do with the arm that was sticking up in the air from the head and arm choke was to flip his corner of the bird. Um as I was going to sleep in there, um, that was the last thing. That was the last thing I could I could remember because they were all yelling at me in Portuguese. I don't know what they were saying, but uh, they were uh, the Brazilians were always very very riled up during their uh, during their jujitsu tournaments. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the story right there. Uh, that's the one, the middle finger. And, yeah, and you guys almost have to look up a picture of Alan to uh, to appreciate this. Just picture him looking at you and throwing you the bird, like as. <laughs> you know, like just to the last act of defiance. But, uh, the, the other story that I was thinking of is that time that it was you, Travis, uh, and, and rich and myself in Atlanta at blade show. And we went out to, uh, Fogo to chow and we were getting as much meat as we possibly could. And, uh, do you remember they were like, Oh, the average person at Fogo eats about two pounds of meat per sitting. And we're like, yeah, we're not average. Uh, and then I remember they're like, sir, is there anything else that you would like? And I just kept eating those lamb lollipops and I kept building up the plate and everyone was finally like, okay, we got to go. And then I was like, no, yeah. I want more lamb. But then on the way home, do you remember with the rental car? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I remember both of those. Actually, I remember the lamb because I made the joke. I said, I said, Kevin, I said, they're literally in the back just chopping lamb to pieces, beheading lamb as you're calling for more lamb back yeah. here. But I do remember the rental car because we were in a bad part of town. Yeah, it was bad. And um, it was so funny because like the like I, we were all of so much the same mindset that when um, when it happened, like everyone just piled out the car and just immediately made like a perimeter around the vehicle. And there were, there were literally people walking around us kind of almost like animals trying to decide whether or not they wanted to attack the prey. Mm -hmm. And we were all just lined up, but everybody knew exactly what to do without even having to be told. It was one, it was a crazy experience because uh, it's, it's tough to find that in people who really, you're, we were just all, we knew each other, but we were just really all meeting in person for the right. first time. Right. And in, there's a certain vibe that's given off like a, like a don't fuck with me vibe, you know? And yes. it was, it was very interesting because rich, I mean, DC Metro cop, right. He's there. Like I am going to shoot someone in the face and and you were there and you probably had like your J frame on you. I know you're a big revolver guy, but uh, everyone was like, Nope, not the group. Like you can yeah. have that. But the, the greatest takeaway from that entire experience, we were driving around, we hear the clicking in the tire. I'm like, what the hell is that? Right. And we look and there's this, this bolt that's in the tire. And I'm like, Oh God, we're losing air. We got to get somewhere. And as we are driving, the tire goes flat. I'm like, all right, let's just drive as slow as we can. We get to the gas station and we're like, we'll just change the tire. And then when we looked in the rental car trunk, there's no tire. Yes. <laughs> and that was that I've never forgotten that lesson. And I've told that to so many people, like you can't assume that your rental car is going to have the emergency equipment that you already know how to use. So you have to rely on the rental car company to come and get you if your car stops. So you better have good comms. And mm -hmm. oh man, like that, that night was such a learning experience, but it was also a lot of fun because, because of that, that experience where it's like, okay, they're going to pull guns and we're going to all pull guns and it's going to oh. get interesting. Oh yeah, and just for the record, I had about three guns on me that I, night. I believe so. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so let's uh, let's wrap this up. Let's. Uh, what's your advice for the new archery shooter? Like someone wants to get into archery, like hey, here's what I recommend: don't get screwed. Get this, this, this. Make sure you practice this. This, this. like, 
give us like your, uh, your spiel. And then I want you to tell everyone where they can find you. All right. So I would, I would tell people to, when you're looking for a bow, first thing, you don't have to break the bank to get into the brotherhood of the bow. A lot of people think you have to spend a lot of money to go out there and buy the, 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 most Gucci equipment you can find. That's not the case. Uh, for years and years and years, people have been shooting archery using a a uh, a stick and a string. You can do the same thing. You don't have to go out and buy this crazy setup. You don't have to have sights. You don't have to have all these different things. You just need to get out there, get you a good bow, and shoot. And good bows, man. Um, I make them. I just, I just do. I, that's just that's just my thing. I could try and sugarcoat if I want to, but I, I know my gear. I know what I make. Uh, I know people that have used it. People have been successful using it. It's lightweight. It's affordable. That's what I would tell people to do. I've got I've got videos coming out recently. Everybody knows you're not supposed to dry fire a bow. I've got a video that's going to be coming out here soon where I took one of my PVC bows and I dry fire it back to back about ten times, um, pull full back, letting it go, and um, I'm sh- showing you exactly. You try this with any other uh, wood bow or any compound bow, you, you're going to get an explosion most likely. Um, but I dry fire it over and over and over and over again and does not crack. And then I take it off the vise and I shoot it. So that's the kind of stuff that, I, that I'm putting out. I want people to have a good quality bow they can go out and have fun with, they can hunt with, that they're confident in and uh, just get out and have a blast. And all of that stuff can be found at my website, odinsonarchery.com. Uh, you can find all of my stuff there. I sell things in packs. I sell them individually. You can call me I can, or you can message me and I can customize them for you. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and the TikTok. You're in the TikTok thing now? Dude, man. And listen, if you are in business for yourself, listen to me. This is the best bit of information, even with all the archery stuff that I've told people. Listen, the best social media platform right now to push your business is TikTok. Are you dancing it in is. these videos? I, I, I don't dance in any of them because I'm not very good at it and um, I've got bad knees. So typically what, what, what my videos are, they're all instructional, man. Um, that's where I, I do a lot of instruction on there. And uh, I'm telling you, man, TikTok, TikTok's the way. They said more people went to TikTok last year than Google. Wow. So, <laughs> so yeah, but I, I'm all over the place. You can find me. Um, usually I'm um, ruffling feathers on there and uh, making the uh, archery community. Uh, upset with me, especially people, the big archery community, they're starting to take notice of me. I posted a meme about this a while back and, uh, Hey, I love you guys, but you know, I mean, I'm, I, let me do my thing, but th- they send some of their people kind of to like harass me sometimes and I uh, call them out on it and it's cool. I mean, I, I don't, I don't mind. It's, it just means that I, that they see me, you know, just remember if you up. have haters, you're doing something right. That's right. It's the old Jack Sparrow quote. You know, when the guy says you're the worst pirate I've ever heard of, he says, Hey, but you have heard of me, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, over the years, you know, I've known you, I don't know how long now, like six or seven years probably. And, uh, you know, whenever there's like a survival article that I'm writing that has to do with archery or someone has a question about that, like I'm always pinging you. And when people say like, well, where do you get your information from? I always give you, give you, you know, uh, accolades because, you know, you're doing the research, which I think is really important. You're keeping the history alive, which that, you know, kind of, you know, makes me all happy and warm and fuzzy because I'm a, a history guy. But, uh, you know, I also like the fact that you w- will put your money where your mouth is and you'll go out there and you'll test stuff. And our ultimate goal at Fieldcraft is to get good gear in the hands of people to make people better versions of themselves. And your stuff is awesome. Um, and for those that are, you know, maybe hard strapped for, for cash, you know, I always say like there's rich man gear, poor man gear, every man gear, you know, and like, yeah, you may want that, you know, Barrett MRAD rifle that's eight grand. 
And maybe you don't want the gun that you find at the local pawn shop that's all shot out. And then there's that gear in the middle. But like you, you definitely fill a niche in this community. And regardless of your skill set or regardless of the gear that you have, I mean, you've got a lot of good information out there. And hopefully this was a good glimpse for the people that are listening that, you know, you don't have to just go to these guys that are shooting, you know, compound bows. You can go and learn from traditional archers. And despite your appearance, and I'm, this is not a knock on you because you're a big dude, you're one of the nicest guys I know in terms of like, hey, let me teach you how to use this. Like you're very, very approachable. So I would encourage everyone that's listening, like reach out to Alan. Like he's a good dude and he'll walk you through whatever you need to know. That's right. Now, I, and absolutely. I, I love teaching people. That's one of the things that I, I enjoy doing when I'm not teaching archery. I'm teaching martial arts, too. So I, I enjoy teaching people. And uh, anybody that's going to be at, at Blade Show this year, Alan Odinson will be there. <laughs> yes. And you know what? Now that we've got Fieldcraft North Carolina, I'm going to talk to Kevin Owens about getting you up there to do some type of archery class, um, because awesome. I think that's that would be a fun one. Um, just we'll touch base after this podcast and talk about what you would need. But, uh, but guys check them out. Uh, so Alan, one more time, where can people find you? Odinsonarchery.com. And I'm just about done with my ready to drink black rifle coffee. So guys, that's the field craft survival podcast this time around. Please check out Alan. Please check out all of our stuff that we're putting out and we'll catch you next time.